0: Spirit, we love you, and Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. <clears throat> Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number seventeen, and we are beginning uh, tonight chapter seventeen in this series that we've called Journey with Jesus. It's a verse by verse study through the Gospel of Luke. We've been on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ, studying the life of Christ, and uh, tonight we're going to be looking at the first ten verses of this chapter. In uh, Luke chapter 17. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at these uh, 10 verses under two different headings. And they, they really have to deal with uh, being a, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching his disciples. If you notice there the first phrase, the first one, it says then said he unto the disciples. And this is of course Jesus turning his attention back to his disciples and training his disciples. The training of the 12 is something, is a theme that we find throughout the Gospels. And in these 10 verses, the Lord Jesus Christ is training the 12. And we're going to look at the the training that he provides in these 10 verses under two different headings uh, tonight. So if you want to just write this down or be ready if you're taking notes, and of course I always encourage you to take notes, we're going to look at uh, the first heading will be that of dealing with sin. And the second heading will be that of dealing with service. Jesus is teaching his disciples, training the twelve, and he teaches them about the subject of dealing with sin, and then he teaches them about the subject of uh, dealing with service. And we'll begin here in verse number one, and uh, we'll start with this idea of sinning against others. There in verse one he says, then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible but that offenses will come. And that uh, phrase, offenses, there in our King James Bible, it means it's not necessarily the same thing that you and I, uh, how we would use the word offend. Usually when we use the word offend or that we are offended, uh, it means that somebody did something to upset you or insult you or uh, in, in in that sort of phrase. And the Bible does use the word offend In that way, but here, when the term offense is used, it's used synonymously throughout the Bible uh, with this idea of to cause someone to stumble, cause someone to trip, to put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall. It's the idea of uh, putting out your foot in front of someone as they're running by to cause them to trip. You have created an offense, and Jesus says here. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. And what he's saying when he says that is that it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will be laid to cause others to fall and to cause others to sin. Obviously, we're human beings, and as we deal with each other and as we have relationships with each other... Uh, we are going to offend each other and hurt each other in such a way, not just that we offend you in, in the sense that, you know, you're offended and you're upset because uh, you were insulted, but in, in the sense that we might do, you know, something, someone may do something in somebody else's life that causes them to trip up, that causes them to be tempted, that causes them to, be, uh, to, to, that, that, to stumble as a result of a stumbling block being laid before them and this is what jesus is referring to he says it is inevitable that the stumbling blocks will be laid it is impossible but that offenses will come now jesus states that as a statement of fact and then here is the uh the the warning at the last part of verse one he says but woe unto him through whom they come and what jesus is saying is this though we know it is impossible that stumbling blocks will, it is inevitable, I should say, uh, that stumbling blocks will be laid. It's impossible to stop that because it's going to happen. What Jesus is teaching his disciples and teaching all of us here tonight is this, that you better make sure that you are not the one laying stumbling blocks before other people, that you're not the one that is causing others to stumble and to be offended. He says, but woe unto him through whom they come. And we often refer to these two verses in in a little bit of a different context. And I'm going to cover that tonight. But I want you to just understand the the plain meaning of what Jesus is saying here. Keep your place there in Luke chapter 17, if you would. And go go to uh, John chapter 21. John 21. You're there in Luke. You'll just flip over to John, the book of John, John 21. And what Jesus is saying is that, look, you and I need to be careful that we don't live our lives in such a way Obviously, there's responsibility. Everybody is responsible for their own actions. Everyone will be held accountable for what they've done. But Jesus says, we need to live our lives in such a way that we are not causing others to sin, that we're not causing others to stumble, that we're not causing others. And Jesus says, this is a big deal. He says, woe unto him uh, through whom uh, they come. If you're there in, in John 21, keep your finger right there and just go back real quickly to Luke 17 because I want you to notice verse two, I want you to notice how seriously Jesus takes this, Luke 17, two, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. And this is how seriously Jesus takes this idea that you better make sure that you're not the one who's being used of the devil to try to put a stumbling block. And look, you know, if, if you are, and especially in a church like this, if you're hanging out with other Christians or you're spending time with other Christians and there's there's a Christian that maybe uh, does not feel comfortable with something that uh, you, you know, you, you guys are out somewhere or whatever, especially you young people, uh, and somebody turns on some music and and so and one of you guys is like, hey, you know, I don't think we should be listening to that. You better make sure that you're not the one saying, oh, no, no, it's fine. You should listen to this or watch this it's not a big deal here watch this on my screen it doesn't matter your your dad will be fine with that hey make sure that you're not the one that's being a stumbling block to other people because jesus takes this very seriously. and he says look it would it'd be better for you to have a millstone i mean this is a pretty extreme statement jesus sounds like 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 a mafia guy here i mean it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea you know uh, make him sleep with the fishes, is what he's saying. And he says then that he should offend one of these little ones. And look, in our lives, we need to be careful. And I know for me, especially, obviously, for, for me and, and for my wife being in ministry, uh, it's a common theme with pastors, when pastors quit or fail or, or, or mess up, that, that that will become a stumbling block to, to other people. In fact, I want to show you here in John 21, because you need to realize that your life, in your life, you could be a stumbling block to others. You know, the Bible says that no man liveth unto himself, and no man dieth unto himself. You're not, you're, you're not an island. Your life is connected to other people. Your life influences other people. I want you to notice here in John 21, uh, this is after the death of Christ, of course. He's already resurrected, but it's in that time uh, in which uh, Peter has sinned. Uh, he, he, he has uh, sinned against the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he's, he's uh, in a backslidden state. And I want you to notice here in John 21, in verse 2, the Bible says there were together Simon Peter. And it's interesting that whenever the disciples are listed, Simon Peter is always listed first. And the reason for that is because he was the leader. He was the one with influence. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. So we have Simon, and we have Thomas, and we have Nathaniel, that's three disciples. The sons of Sebedee, which is two more, that would be five. And then the Bible tells us here, and two others of his disciples. That gives us a total of seven. Seven of the twelve disciples are here with Simon. And notice in verse 3, the Bible says, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. Now, for you that might not sound like a big deal, but for... Simon, for Peter and for the disciples, this was a big deal because Jesus had actually forbidden them. These were men who were fishermen by trade and he had forbidden them from going fishing ever again. He told them, you're not going to go fishing anymore. He said, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. He called them into the ministry. He said, I don't want you to go back to your old job. Now you're going to be a full-time disciple and apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for men. And the Bible says that they straightway left their nets and followed him. They forsook their father and forsook their nets and they followed him. But I want you to notice when when Peter gets backslidden here, he says, I go a-fishing. And what he means by that is, I'm going to go back to my old life. I'm going to go back to my old job. I'm done with this Jesus stuff. I'm done with this ministry stuff. I mean, he's quitting and he's get, he's backslidden. Here in verse three, Simon Peter saith unto them, "I go a fishing." But I want you to notice that Peter did not live on an island. His testimony influenced others because the Bible says that they say unto him, "Who's the they?" The other six uh, apostles that are with them, disciples that are with them, there's a total of seven. Seven of the twelve. Six other, not including Peter, say unto him, we also go with thee. I want you to notice that here in this instance, Peter was a stumbling block. When he quit on Jesus, six other guys followed him. And six other guys quit with him as well. And I'm here to tell you that when you decide to get backslidden and you decide to quit on Jesus, you might be a stumbling block That causes others to sin. I'm reminded of Nathan uh, Nathan the prophet saying to David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he had Uriah the Hittite killed where he told him that you have given offenses, uh, uh, opportunity to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme his name. And we just need to realize that our lives and our testimony, you, you can't just you know, decide you're going to be, uh, uh, get saved. Obviously, we hope everybody makes that decision. But after salvation, decide I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do right. I'm going to live a separated life. I'm going to become a soul winner. I'm going to become three to thrive. I'm going to pull my kids out of the public school. We're going to homeschool them. We're going to, you know, change our lives, do all these things, and then just decide to quit and not think that that's not going to cause an influence and have an influence on other people, and especially you dads out there and you moms out there, you better realize that God takes it very seriously when you become an offense and a stumbling block. Look at it. Go back to Luke 17. Look at verse 2. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. You know, before I do something in my life that would cause my children to to quit on God or get backslidden or or get bitter towards God, the Bible says that it would be better for me to just kill myself. Now, usually we apply this to pedophiles and child molesters, and that definitely applies. Here it says that we're better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea, then that he should offend one of these little ones. And that, that definitely is an application. Obviously, when somebody molests a child, they are definitely putting a stumbling block uh, uh, and an offense before them and, and, and hurting that child. And, and of course, we have Jesus here in verse 2 affirming the death penalty. You know, this is, a, this is a, a Jesus that people don't, don't want to acknowledge. But Jesus here, in his affirmation of the death penalty... Now, Jesus did not teach that we should take the law into our own hands. He says, look, we should not uh, go after others and try to have justice, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. He said not because that's wrong, because that's what the Old Testament taught, but he said it's wrong for us to put that into our own hands. That's something that the government is supposed to do. The government has been instituted by God to bring justice, to bring judgment. But here Jesus is affirming the death penalty. So obviously, yes, this applies to the pedophiles, the homosexual, pedophiles out there. And if you've never heard me preach that before in your life, what? Let me just explain something to you. Every homosexual is a pedophile. All right? You say, oh, no, they they say that you can be a homosexual. Today they try to teach that, that you could be a heterosexual and not a pedophile. And I'm here to tell you something. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible is very clear if you read Genesis 19 uh, that all homosexuals are pedophiles. And not only that, history teaches you that. Just go back and look at the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, uh, pretty much every empire that has ever uh, been destroyed by that filthy sin of homosexuality. And you know what you always find connected? Homosexuality and pedophilia. And today, in our culture, they try to separate that. Well, they tried to separate it. Now they're trying to, you know, just make being a wicked, disgusting pedophile normal. But what Jesus thinks about it is he says, look, if you offend one of these little ones, it'd be better if you killed yourself. And I'm here to tell you, any pedophile, it'd be better they do the world a favor if they just killed themselves. That's what the Bible says. But I want you to understand that that is not the only application here. The application is not only to uh, pedophiles and sodomites. In fact, the application is just to anyone that would put a stumbling block in front of anyone. If anyone offers a joint of marijuana to somebody else and says, try this, hey, it'd be better for you to, uh, to, to, to hang a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the sea." Offer a drink of alcohol or booze to some young person. Offer drugs to some young person. Offer pornography to some young person. You're offending them. You're putting a stumbling block before them, and you're you're causing them to stumble, and Jesus takes that very seriously. So Jesus teaches us here in verses 1 and 2 that we should be very careful to make sure that we are not sinning against others, and that we are not putting stumbling blocks before others, and that we are not doing things and saying things and, and, and taking positions and telling people, oh, don't worry about that. Your mom won't mind if you watch this. Your dad won't care if you watch this. Hey, be careful that you're not the stumbling block. It upsets Jesus. It, has, it upset him to the point where, I mean, he's speaking like, like an organized crime mafia member here and saying, let's just take a millstone and hang it about your neck and cast you into the sea. He said, that would be better than that he should offend one of these little ones. So in verses 1 and 2, we see this idea of sinning against others and making sure that we are not sinning against others and that we are not putting a stumbling block before others. And of course, we see Jesus affirming the death penalty. And of course, we understand that there's many applications to that. Then I want you to notice that in verses 3 and 4, he continues with this idea of dealing with sin But instead of dealing with sinning against others, which is what he talked about in verses 1 and 2, and us sinning against others, in verses 3 and 4, he talks about when others sin against us. So verses 1 and 2 has to do with the fact that we should make sure that we're not laying a stumbling block before others and causing others to stumble. But then in verses 3 and 4, he says, well, what happens when others sin against you? Look at verse 3. He says, take heed. The word heed means to pay attention. Pay close attention to this. He says, Take heed to yourselves if thy brother... Now, what's a brother? A brother is another believer, another saved individual. If thy brother trespass against thee... The word trespass is used synonymously with the term sin. The Bible tells us that sin is the transgression of the law. When we transgress or go beyond the law or break the boundaries of the law, of God's law, that is a sin. Trespass is the same idea. You've heard of trespassing on somebody's property. You've crossed a boundary that you should not have crossed. So the word trespass simply means sin. And Jesus says, if thy brother trespass against thee, What is it that you're supposed to do when your brother has sinned or transgressed or trespassed against you? Notice what he says. He says, rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him. Now, when the Bible says here, rebuke him, what it means is that we are to go to that individual and tell them a rebuke is when you tell somebody, hey, you did something wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're supposed to go up to them and start yelling at them and telling, you know, but the the idea is that you confront them with what has been done wrong. Now, I'd like you to go to Matthew 18 if you would. Matthew 18, you're there in Luke, because this is the same thing that Jesus taught in Matthew 18. Matthew 18 goes into more detail. Keep your place there in Luke, but go, go to Matthew. If you go backwards, you go past the book of Mark into the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. And let me just say this, when it comes to dealing with others sinning against you, this is not the only option. This is one of two biblical options. And I preach a lot about this, so I'm not going to have you run the verses or anything like that. But there's another option that Jesus says is a better option, and it's this, to suffer yourself to be defrauded. He says to esteem others better than yourself. He taught it in the Sermon on the Mount as turning the other cheek. Somebody, you know, smacks you on, the, on, on one side, you turn the other cheek, you suffer yourself or allow yourself to be defrauded, you esteem them out other, of other better than yourself. So look, you, you have an, another option, which is that you just let it go, you just forget about it, you just forgive that in your heart, and you don't even bring it up. And that's definitely an option. And, and I would say, look, you know, oftentimes people ask me, you know, so-and-so did something against me, what should I do? And I always tell them, well, here's the thing, can you just let it go? If you can let it go and it doesn't produce bitterness, it doesn't produce, you know, just you getting depressed or discouraged or bitter or angry in your heart, then, then just let it go. And that's the, that's the most Christian thing to do, you know, if you say, yeah, they were kind of rude to me, but you know, maybe they're having a bad day or, or they said this or they said that, but I don't think they meant it. I don't even think they really knew what they were saying. Hey, if you can let it go, just let it go. The Bible says that sometimes we should just suffer ourselves to be defrauded. We should esteem others better than ourselves. We should turn the other cheek. We should just, look, if, if they're suing us for our coat, give them your cloak also. Just, just go with them the extra mile. Just, it's fine. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them and hate you pray for them which despitefully use you, that's definitely an option. In fact, that's option number one. But if you say, no, I can't let this go, or I've tried to let it go, but I just find myself getting bitter about it and angry about it, and I keep thinking about it, then you've got another biblical option, biblical option number two, which is that you confront your brother for the purpose, now don't don't miss this, Because you're you're there in Matthew 18, but let me read to you again Luke 17, 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him so that I can feel better. That's not the purpose of the rebuke. Rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. What is the purpose of you confronting this individual who has sinned against you or done you wrong? The purpose is reconciliation. That's why you want to go to them. And if you say, oh, I can't let this go. I'm bitter about it. I'm angry about it. Then the Bible says that you are to go to them and confront them about it and talk to them about it, not so you can tell them off and yell at them, but so that you can have the purpose of being reconciled unto your brother. Look at Matthew 18 and verse 15. Jesus taught it here in a lot more uh, detail. Matthew 18:15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Notice in Matthew 18, he gives us a three-step process. Really a four-step process. He says, number one, go and tell him his fault. Go and tell him his fault. That's the rebuke. Hey, you did me wrong. You sinned against me when you did X, Y, and Z. Now, I want you to notice something. It says, go and tell him his fault. And notice the next little phrase. This is the key phrase in this passage. Between thee and him alone. Notice, it doesn't say, go tell his faults off on Facebook. Go tell all the faults on Instagram. Go tell all your faults on social media. Go tell everyone at the church, go tell him his faults and everybody else the faults as well. That's not what the Bible says. And by the way, if if you have an issue with somebody in this church and you're going to anybody but that person, then you're a gossip. That's called gossiping. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say to let everybody else know. Let everybody know all the issues you have with brother so-and-so. Let everybody know all the things that sister so-and-so has done. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, go and tell them his faults between thee and him alone. And you know why the only reason that you would go to someone alone is because you want to reconcile? You know why you would go around and tell everybody except them? Because you don't want to reconcile. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now, there are situations where they, you go to them and you say, hey, you wronged me here. You sinned against me when you did X, Y, and Z. And they don't receive that well. And they won't hear it. Then there's another step. The Bible says, verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, number two, then take with thee one or two more This is referring to two more to help judge the situation. And let me just say this, you know, at Verity Baptist Church, when you get to this step, you better be involving your pastor or your pastor's wife, because you're going to need me for step number three. And and if you get to step two without involving me, then you're going to have another Matthew 18 process where you'd now piss me off. So let me just be clear about this. Don't go to step two, well, I got my little buddy here, my 18-year-old buddy, and we went and went, I don't want to hear that. You bring that to me, or you ladies bring that to my wife, you say, I don't like that, well, then go start your own church. Then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established, verse 17, this is where your little buddy's not going to help you, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, that's where you need me. Because the Bible says if it gets so bad that they won't listen to you, they won't listen to other two. The Bible says ye that are spiritual. Other two uh, spiritual people. Oftentimes in these situations, uh, I like to use ordained leadership. So it'll be like me and our deacon or whatever dealing with this situation. If it's a lady, if it involves a lady, I'll, I'll use my wife, of course. If he shall neglect to hear them, then the Bible says you take it, you tell it unto the church. But if they neglect to hear the church, then let them to be, to, uh, be unto thee as an heathen man and as a publican. You, you throw them out of church is where this ends up, if it gets that bad. But we're not trying to get there. Step number one is just go tell him his fault between thee and him alone for the purpose of gaining thy brother, reconciling the relationship. We're not trying to throw people out of church. We're trying to reconcile relationships. Now, here's what I've learned about this process that Jesus refers to. Go go back to Luke chapter 17. It's interesting to me because in Matthew 18, he gives us this this three-step, really four-step process. Go and tell him his faults between him and thee alone. Then take with thee one or two more. And then tell it unto the church. And then, if they won't hear the entire church, then throw them out. He gives us that entire process in Matthew 18. In Luke 17, he just gives us the first step. Look at it again, Luke 17, 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And it's interesting to me that Jesus only gives us step number one in Luke 17, while in Matthew 18, he gave us the whole process. And I think the reason for that is because what I've learned is that this whole Matthew 18 thing usually falls apart right at the very first step. And, and I think Jesus just gives the first step because he's like, just try to get this one down. I mean, just try to work on this because here's, here's what I've learned. It takes maturity, spiritual maturity to be able to go to someone and in the, in the spirit of love, speaking the truth in love, say to them, hey, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, when you did X, Y, and Z, you sinned against me. That was wrong. You should not have done that. It it takes a lot of maturity to do that. And here's what I've learned. In church, very few people are mature enough to do this. And unfortunately, what I've learned is that it takes a lot of immaturity, and it's very easy to decide, I'm not going to go to them one-on-one and try to deal with this. I'm just going to go tell the whole church about it. And I'm going to go talk to everybody about it except the person that God told me to talk to about it. And because that requires, that that can be done with a lot of immaturity, unfortunately, that's usually the step people take. People usually bypass the biblical step of just, hey, if you have a problem with someone, can you let it go? No, I can't let it go. Well, then you should go to them and talk to them. No, I don't want to do that either. I just want to talk to my little friends, my four and no more, and I want to call all everybody and let them know what they did to me. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? That requires a lot of immaturity, which is why it's often done. Telling everyone requires very little spirituality. In fact, it requires no spirituality. It requires someone living in the flesh, which is why it is what often happens. Now, please understand this, because I spent a lot of time explaining this to people. When it comes to conflict within the church, you have two options. One option is you say, you know what? It's not a big deal. I'm just going to let it go. And if that's true, then you should let it go. You should turn the other cheek. You should love them and just say, it's fine. Not a big deal. I'm going to let it go. But if you can't let it go and you grow bitter, then you should confront them. Those are the only two options you have. I'm here to tell you something. I'm the pastor of this church. I've read the Bible over 20 times, and I'm here to tell you something. Those are the only two options you have. But here's what I've learned is that people usually like to create this third option. And the third option is this I'm not gonna let it go, and I'm not gonna talk to them about it. I'm just gonna grow bitter and angry and try to turn people against them and become a gossip. That's not an option. That's not allowed. If you want to follow and be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what you get to do. You get to let it go, or you get to deal with them. You don't get to not let it go and not deal with them and just grow bitter and just grow angry and just gossip. That's not an option for you. It's not an option to just gossip about people, talk crap about people, and look at Verity Baptist Church. I do not allow any church members to allow to speak negatively about any other church members. Ever, I don't just you know just if you haven't been to our new members class, I don't allow church people to talk bad about other church people. I don't allow church people to talk bad about other pastors. I don't even care what pastor it is, and I don't care what church member it is. It's just not allowed. If you have a problem with someone, go to them. You I don't want to go, then let it go. Well, I can't let it go, then go to them. If I don't want to go to them, then shut up! Go to them or let it go. Those are your options. There is no other option. Well, I'm going to talk to my friend about it. That's not an option. Well, I'm going to talk to my girlfriends about it. That's not an option. Well, I'm going to spread it on social media. That's not an option. And when you go down that, then you open yourself up to Matthew 18. So we see that there's this option of let it go or confront them. And if you confront them, notice verse 3 take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. If he repent, forgive him. This is the only option you have. Please understand something. And I know people don't like this. And I understand why you don't like it. Sometimes I don't like it either. But my job is not trying to make you like the Bible. My job is to tell you this is what the Bible says. Whether you like it or lump it, that's between you and God. There is a requirement in Christianity for forgiveness. You are not allowed. you, You can say this, I refuse to forgive, but you're not right with God. God requires, Jesus requires that you forgive. He says, if he repent, forgive him. You say, now, how, how is it, why is it that God could just require us to forgive other people? I mean, doesn't that sound kind of messed up? Like, God going to say, I require you to forgive. Go to Ephesians, Ephesians 4. I, we could go to a lot of passages to talk about this, and I've done that in the past. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to show you one passage from Ephesians, Ephesians 4. Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And look, this is not about some reprobate pedophile. They need the millstone hung about their neck and be thrown into the sea. This is if your brother trespass against you. Ephesians 4.31, notice what he says. I love the context of the Bible. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It's almost like Paul was in ministry. And he knew people. Because I, this is what I often tell people. Can you let it go without growing bitter? No. Can, can you just forgive them? No. Can you talk to them about it? No. Well, then, look, those are your only two options. So if you're not going to talk to them about it, or if you did talk to them about it and they apologized and said, I'm sorry, then you need to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice Verse 32, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted. Here's the command: God commands this from you. God requires this from you. If somebody asks for your forgiveness, God requires that we would be forgiving one another. You say, How can God require me? How can God, you know, tell me that I have to forgive? Here's why. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. God says, after everything I've forgiven you, after everything I've, looked, uh, I, 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 I've not punished you for, after all those sins that I sent my son to die on the cross for your sin, he says, you can forgive them. Amen. In fact, he requires it. He says, and if you repent, forgive him. And if you're here tonight, you say, I, there's so-and-so in the church and I'll never forgive them. You're not right with God. And it shows, it shows that you're an immature Christian. Because he says, Look, confront them. If they repent, forgive them. There's a requirement for forgiveness. But I want you to notice not only is there a requirement for forgiveness, there's a limitlessness to that requirement. Go back to Luke 17. Look at verse 4. Say, Well, how long? You know, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Luke 17, 4. And if you trespass against thee, seven times in a day. And look, this is an extreme example. Could you really, somebody, just envision somebody seven times in one day just offending you in the same way? Obviously, this is an extreme example from the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he shall trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent. Notice what he says. Thou shalt forgive him. Amen. That's a command. Thou shalt He says, You are commanded. He's like, Well, what if they do it a second time? What if they do it a third time? Jesus says, I don't care if they do it seven times in one day. If they turn to thee saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive them. And obviously, he's talking about a genuine repentance, not some fake apology. You know, here, uh, I always love the fake apologies. You know, I'm sorry you took it that way. That's not an apology. You know, it was true. I'm just sorry. It's just shut up. All right, that's not an apology. That's not repentance. I preached on that other times. But look, if somebody genuinely says, I'm sorry, you know, I, I didn't mean to offend you, and I, I realized that I did that and that was wrong, they take responsibility. They don't minimize it, they don't make excuses. Then thou shalt forgive them. That's what the Bible says. Go, go back to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Look at verse 21. Because the disciples, this is hard. Look, it, this is a hard saying. Even for us, you know, obviously not just for disciples, but for us it's hard. You say, oh, it's all that hard. Yeah, right. You try to teach people to forgive each other and see how easy it is. It's not easy. Matthew 18, 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often my brother sin against me and I forgive him. till seven times? It's funny. Because I, I Peter's kind of like, you know, seven times in a day. So is that the limit? Seven times? Jesus saith Jesus say unto him, verse twenty two, "I say unto thee until seven times." Uh, he said, un, "Until uh, until seven times," but he says, "Until seventy times seven. He says, "I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. He says, uh, "Is seven times the limit?" He says, "No, seventy times seven. And he's not doesn't mean four hundred and ninety. He just he's just saying he's saying you know it's limitless. Don't, don't go home and start, you know, take your little three-by-five card. One. I think, think we might get to 490 by the end of the week here. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, we are required to forgive. And we are required to forgive as many times as, as we're asked to. And the Bible says that we are to resolve conflicts within Christianity in a matter of, that is fitting of mature Christians. Go, go back to Luke chapter 17. And let me just, you know, be clear about my position and the position of Verity Baptist Church. And it is this. Don't, you know, nothing pisses me off more than gossip. And, and you know, don't let me catch or hear that there's gossip and people gossiping about other church members. And I don't care who it is. It's we will not allow it at this church. You, you, if you, and look, if, if you're the one being gossiped to, here's the proper response. Let me, let me tell you what so-and-so did to me. Have you talked to so-and-so? Are you asking me to be a witness here? Why are you bringing this up to me? No, I haven't talked to him. Well, you're supposed to. Luke 17, Matthew 18. You don't get to talk negatively about other church people publicly in this church. It's not allowed. You don't get, you say, well, what are my options? They did me wrong. Here's your options. Go to them. I'm not willing to do that. Let it go. I can't do that. Go to them. I'm not willing to do that. Let it go. Look, there's only two. Well, I can't, I'm still bitter, but you're not mature enough, then you better get mature. Read the Bible, pray, grow, and get to the place where you're mature enough. Look, I don't understand this. It's not that hard. I literally, I'm here to, let me tell you something. I do this for a living. This is what I get paid to do. Like, you guys think I get paid to preach? I don't get paid to preach. I would preach for free. In fact, not only would I preach for free, I preached for free. Like, three and a half years. You know what I actually get paid to do? Confront people. My job is to go to people on, on a weekly basis around here. Me or my wife are, ta- are going to somebody and saying, hey, that's not okay. You're not allowed to do that. That's wrong. And you know what? I never cuss at them. I never raise my voice. I never insult them. I just go to them and say, hey, you crossed the boundary here. That's not allowed. You need to stop that. Don't do that anymore. And you know, if they're mature enough to receive it, we pray and we go on our merry way. It's not that hard. People act like it's this end of the world. Like, oh I gotta go talk to somebody. I don't know what I'm gonna do. It just shows how immature you are. Just going to somebody and saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, I love you. I'm telling you this because I love you. When you did X, Y, and Z, that was wrong. You know, you hurt me. You sinned against me. And I don't want this to be a thing between us, and I want us to be able to reconcile because I love you, You know, and I'm bringing this up to you. And, the other, and that's what a mature Christian does. And, and hopefully the mature Christian on the other side says, wow, you're right, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that. You know, I'm sorry about that. It's okay. I accept your apology. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. And they pray, and they go on, the bitter, uh, on, on their merry way, and they're not bitter. That's how it should work. One day, one day, I don't know when it's going to happen. I've been doing this for 12 years. Maybe when I've been doing it for 24 years or 34 years or 44 years, or maybe I'll we'll have to wait to heaven till this happens. But one day, I hope to pastor a church mature enough where people can actually do this without involving half the church in their gossip without involving everybody in their big mess. And I know you, some of you drama mamas just love the drama. Lo- I mean, I am convinced that there are some people out there, they cannot live without drama, constant drama in their life. But let me explain something to you. Verity Baptist Church is not your junior high school. Yeah. This is not high school. Yeah. It comes to a point, and I'm, we're going to get to it in the, in the sermon, it comes to a point where you're more trouble than you're worth. And then we'll have a problem. And you don't want, you don't want, I mean, you know, take this however you want. I don't, sound, I don't, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but you don't want me pulling the Matthew 18 process on you because I'm a professional. I do this for a living. So there's no anxiety going into this meeting. It's like, it's just Tuesday. So watch yourself. Luke 17. We talk about dealing with sin, verses 1 and 2. Us sinning against others. Not putting stumbling blocks before other people. And then verses 3 and 4, when others sin against us, what are we supposed to do? Go tell all your friends. That's not what it says. Get on the phone and get a a conference call going with everyone. That's not what it says. Go on Facebook and social media. That's not what it says. Go to him alone. Go to your brother alone and try to resolve it. And if they repent, forgive them. So we saw the dealing with sin. Then I want you to notice in verses 5 through 10, he talks about dealing with service. He talks about a couple of different areas regarding service here. In verse 5 and 6, he talks about the faith required for service. Verse 5, he says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Now, why did they say that? They said that because he just got done telling them what I just got done telling you. And they're like, man, it's going to require some faith to do this. Increase our faith. You know, they're like, you want us to what? Go to them and be nice and, and speak the truth and love. This, you know, like there the are verse in the Bible that says, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Because a friend will go to someone and tell them, hey, you're not doing right here. This is wrong. And they'll do it in the right spirit. So they said, increase our faith. And that's 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 just kind of them. You know, I always love it when people, like, you, you teach them something, and then they, they just try to, like, you know, act like, oh, well, that's for somebody else. They're, because Jesus gets up teaching this, and he's like, what do you think? And they're like, increase our faith. Like, they're saying, like, we don't have enough faith for this. Like, you're going to have to increase our faith. So then... I love Jesus' response to them because their, their response to him is, increase our faith. And then Jesus' response to that is, you don't need a lot of faith. And, and let me just, let's just run a couple verses real quickly. Go, go to Romans chapter 3, just real quickly. Romans chapter 3. Let's talk about faith real quickly. Usually when we talk about faith, we talk about salvation. And we know that. We need faith for salvation. Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that faith is required for our salvation. We're justified by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice that that is just the beginning. We We are not only justified by faith, we also, the Bible says, are to live by faith or walk by faith. Go to Romans 1 real quickly, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So notice you're not only saved by faith or justified by faith, you are to live by faith. Go back to Luke 17. While you go there, let me read to you from 2 Corinthians 5, 7. The Bible says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. So we realize that the Christian life requires faith to be saved and then to live the Christian life or to walk the Christian life also requires faith. So here the disciples, Luke 17, 5, they say, increase our faith. And I love Jesus' response to that. Verse 6, And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now in Matthew 13, you don't have to turn there, in verse 32, Jesus called the grain of a mustard seed, He called it the least of all seeds. So He's referring to the smallest seed in their culture. They say, increase our faith. And he says, you don't need a lot of faith. He said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, he says, ye might say unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. Here's what Jesus is saying. We don't need a lot of faith. A little faith would yield great results. If we would just practice a little faith. We like to say, oh, if I had more faith. If I had more faith, I'd go soul winning. If I had more faith, I'd be a tither. If I had more faith, I'd go into the ministry. If I had more faith. And Jesus says, you don't need a lot of faith. Just a grain of mustard seed. Just a little faith that you practice in the right person, the Lord Jesus Christ, will produce a lot. Ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the roots, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. So don't don't tell me, oh, if I had more faith. You don't need a lot. That person must have a lot of faith. They probably don't. They probably have a little bit of faith that they acted upon, that they lived by, that they walked by. So he talks about the faith of service, verses 5 and 6. And then in verses 7 and 10, he talks about the duty of service. Notice verse 7. But which of you, having a servant? A servant would be our you know, the way that we would apply it today would be like an employee. Obviously, they had servants, and in the Roman world, slaves and stuff like that. He says, but which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him, by and by, when he is come from the field, go and sit down to me. And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. I want you to notice what Jesus says here. He says, which of you, which of you being a master, being a boss, being the one in authority, having a servant, a subservient, an employee, someone under your authority, if that servant has been working, plowing or feeding cattle, what kind of master is going to say unto him, when he's done, by and by, when he has come from the field, you know, go and sit down to meet. What kind of master is going to look at a servant who's been working all day, and then when he comes in, he says, here, you sit down and let me serve you, let me get you something to eat. He said, that's not what a master's going to do. He says, in fact, a master is going to do this, verse 8, and will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me. The boss says, hey, I'm glad you're done with the field work. You know, get dinner started. Make ready wherewith I may sup, that I may eat, and gird thyself and serve me till I've eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. Verse 9, doth he thank that servant? Because he did the things that were commanded him? And then I love this little phrase it says, I trow not. The word trow means to think. And when he says, I trow not, he says, I think not. He said, I don't think so. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him. And here Jesus is teaching this idea of service and duty. And the idea is this, that in doing what we ought, we deserve no praise because it is our duty. And when a boss has an employee, and this applies to whatever area of authority, husbands with wives, wives with children, bosses with employees, whatever area of authority it is, he says, look, When you have done that which is commanded you, you do not deserve to be thanked. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus is teaching something, and I feel like if people just understood these things, it would make the world a better place. And it's this. Look, obviously when dealing with peers, then we need, you know, the Bible says, the Bible teaches that we should be polite, we should be cordial, Bible teaches things like that young people should stand up in the presence of a hoary head. If somebody walks up to you and they have white hair, which means they are older and more mature than you are, you know, and they greet you, you know, don't just... No. You stand up. You look them in the eye. You give them the honor that they deserve, especially if it's found in the way of righteousness. So the Bible is very clear about us being polite and kind. Jesus is not teaching here that we should be rude. He's not teaching that. But he is teaching this idea, and it is this, that between peers, we should be grateful to each other. If I work in a position and I've got another peer who's my equal, then obviously I'm not his authority. I shouldn't be bossing him around. I should be kind and gent- right? When I go to some, I mean, just me in, in ministry, when I go to some conference or I'm at somebody else's church and there's another pastor there, I should show them the same respect as a pastor in authority because of their position. But here's what Jesus is teaching, that a boss does not necessarily have to thank his employee for doing what he's paying him to do. Now, look, it's good... To, to thank your employees or to show appreciation, your kids. You know, it's good to do that. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that, but I am saying this. The Bible says it's not needed. You know, I, I've got teenage sons, and I'm constantly telling them what to do at home and do this and do that. And, you know, I, I do thank them, and I say, "Could you please take care of this? But there are times when I don't. I just say, take the trash out. And, and you say, well, you're not going to thank them? They live here. They eat my food. All of it. They live in my house. I clothe them. You know, it's not... They're not doing... They're not doing me a favor when they take the trash out. It's the point that I'm making. And look, at work, you're not doing your boss a favor when you do what you're getting paid to do. He doesn't need to thank you. Does he thank that servant because he did that thing which were commanded him? I trow not. He says, look, if your boss thanks you, praise God for it. And if you have a boss that thanks you and gives you bonuses and writes you thank you cards and appreciates you, then you should get on your knees and praise the Lord for that. Amen. You say, my boss never thanks me. He doesn't need to. Does he pay you? No. Well, then find another job. <laughs> but if he pays you, then, then that, you say, "Why well, don't get paid well. That's your fault. That's not your boss's fault that you don't get paid well. That's your lack of ability, your lack of training, your lack of you've not read books, you've not grown, you've not made yourself more valuable. That's not his fault, that's your fault. Verse 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things. So notice how Jesus now is applying it to Christianity. He talked about it within the servant relationship or the boss-employee relationship. But then he says, so likewise ye. Talking to disciples when ye shall have done all those things which were commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that, which was our duty to do. Now don't, don't miss this. He says, when we have done, so likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which I commanded you. Here's what he's saying. When an employee does... Everything that they were paid to do, they are an unprofitable servant. Now, usually when we read that, we see we read that in a negative connotation. And there is a negative connotation to it, but I want you to understand it's not it's not like Jesus saying, like, you're just worthless. Because an unprofitable simply means that you have done only that which you were paid, or if you're a servant, that you're purchased to do. Meaning, He's only breaking even on you. Being unprofitable simply means that your boss is not making a profit on you. Unprofitable means that you have done nothing extra, nothing above. Unprofitable means that you have done nothing worth being thanked for. That's what unprofitable means. And look, let me just help you out, especially you men. Please understand these concepts biblically. There's a profitable servant an unprofitable servant, and then the worst type of servant, what Jesus calls a good for nothing. And I didn't say, I know that sounds like a Hispanic culture thing, but that's what Jesus said. Matthew 5.13, that's a quote from Jesus. The, the, the salt that has lost its savor is good for nothing. You say, what does this mean? Well, unprofitable is not necessarily the worst thing. It just means that, Look, and let's apply it to our world. It means that it costs your boss whatever it is that he pays you. It costs him $50,000 a year to keep you employed, right? $60,000 a year, $70,000 a year, $80,000, $100,000, whatever it is. He pays you that certain amount. And by the way, if that's your salary, just realize that, that it costs him a lot more than that to keep you employed. There's a lot more cost to having employees than just their salary. But let's just, let's just start there, just for round numbers. You say, I make $50,000 a year, $60,000 a year, $75,000 a year. Well, here's the thing. If it costs your boss $75,000 a year to keep you employed and you produce $75,000 worth of income for the company, you are an unprofitable servant. You have not made him a profit. He broke even on you. Really, you should be thanking him. He's doing you a favor. He's just provided a job for you where you bring in the same amount of money that it costs to keep you. That's what Jesus is saying. When we have done all those things which are commanded, when the employee has done all the things that he was paid to do, he, is, he should say, we should say, we are unprofitable servants. You say, what's a profitable servant? A profitable servant is the guy that is bringing in more money than what it costs to have him. You know, this is easy. And and look, this is the way the real world works for some of you. (laughs) But, you know, it's easier to see this in like a sales type aspect. If it costs $75,000 to employ you, or let's say $100,000 or $200,000 or $250,000 to employ you, but you're selling a million dollars worth of equipment, you're a profitable servant. You understand that? If they pay you $500,000 a year, but you're selling a million dollars worth of profit, you're a profitable servant because you're making the business money. If you're like, well, I'm just getting, I'm just doing what I'm paid to do, then you're, in, you're just breaking even, you're a profitable servant. But there's a worse employee, which is the good for nothing, which actually costs you more to keep employed than what they're producing. And for some of you, maybe you need to just understand this concept. Maybe it'll help you be a better employee if you go to work and ask yourself, am I making the boss any money? Am I profitable? Or am I just, you know, well, he won't thank me. I trow not. Why would he? What are you doing? That he should be like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. It cost me $70,000 to employ you, and it costs me, and you brought in $69,999. Thank you. What is what? He says, look, we should say, when we have done that, which is commanded, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that, which was our duty to do. It's 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 unprofitable. And look, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to church, let me just say this. Let me say this about employees. You know, be careful about this. When you become... More of a hassle than you're worth. And look, in church life, this happens too. And look, maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe you aren't going to like me saying this. I will tell you this. I run this church like a business. And sometimes I look at some church people and I think to myself, like, you are more trouble than you're worth keeping here. And that's that's saying a lot because we don't really expect much from you. I mean, if, if you can't show up to church and just sit there, and it's like, yeah, but when you're sitting there, you're just gossiping and causing drama and causing it. It comes to a point where some church people, I'm just like, we need to get rid of this person. They're, they're, not, they're not even an unprofitable servant. They're just a good for nothing. They're, they're costing us more. Their presence is causing other people to get offended and leave because they're so rude, because they're always causing problems, because they're always causing issues. Look, I realize some of you people, this is offensive to you. You don't think this way, but you should start thinking this way. You should go to work and ask yourself, am I profitable? Am I making a profit? And, and by the way, let me just let you in on a little secret. When you start making your boss money, you'll make more money. When you start making your boss money, he's going to value you. He's going to give you those raises. He's going to give you those promotions. He's not just going to be a, When you're like, well, I'm going to quit. And he's like, I can find him 10 other guys. I'll do the exact same thing you're doing. That's not his fault. That's your fault. Verse 10. So likewise ye... When ye have done all those things which I commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. And let me just let you in on a little secret. When it comes to Christianity, we are unprofitable servants. It doesn't matter what you do. It it does not matter what you do. You will never, God will never be in your debt. You're never gonna be like, I'm such a great Christian that God's just looking down and thinking like, I, I owe them something, look how great they are. No, no, no. He has done so much for us. God will never be in my dad. God will never be in your dad. Let me just cue in on this little word and then we'll finish up. Verse 10. Our duty to do. Our duty to do. Let's run a couple verses real quickly. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Just real quickly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 12. First of all, what is our service? What, what am I supposed to do? Because let me just be honest with you. Here's what Jesus is teaching. The average Christian is not even breaking even. You're not even an unprofitable servant. He said, when we have done all things which are commanded, at that point, you break even. And here's the truth. None of us are doing everything that we're commanded to do. He said, what does it take to break even? Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present Your body is a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What's my reasonable service? I mean, I'm here on a Wednesday night. Aren't I like an, you know, don't I get like a gold star? Aren't I like an A-star student or something? No, you're here on a Wednesday night. God bless you. Look, listen to me. This is Pastor Amanda speaking. I'm thankful you're here. As far as God is concerned, you're an unprofitable servant. Being here on a Wednesday night and being here on a Sunday morning and being here on a Sunday night and being here every time the, the house of God is open and tithing and soul winning and living for God and forgiving and forgetting and, and, and all those things, that's your reasonable service. When you have done all those things, you can say we are unprofitable servants because what Jesus has done for us is so much greater than anything we could ever do for him. But I want to talk about this word duty real quickly. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, your mother than likely to find the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Jack Kyle said, and I agree with him, obviously. Jack Kyle said if there was one concept he could teach church people, it would be this word duty. So likewise ye, when ye ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now look, I believe that we should go soul winning because we love the Lord Jesus Christ and we love the lost. I believe you ought to read your Bible because you love God. I believe you ought to pray because you love Communicating with God. I believe you ought to forgive your brothers and sisters in Christ because you love God's people. I believe that all the things we do ought to be motivated by love and and by serving God. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, and love thy neighbor as thyself. But the truth is this, that every once in a while... You're not going to want to read the Bible. You're not going to want to show up to church on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. You're not going to want to forgive your brother or sister in Christ. You're not going to want to pray. You're not going to want to do those things. You say, what do I do at that moment when I no longer want to do what I'm paid to do, what I've been saved to do, what I've been purchased to do? At that point, you do it out of duty. Say, what what do I want to show up for soul winning? Show up anyway. What if I don't want to read the Bible? Read it anyway. What if I don't want to pray? Pray anyway. You say, but that's not coming from the heart. Then let it come out of character. Let it come out of integrity. Let it come out of duty. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. Strength for thy labor, the Lord shall provide. You know what I found? Is that when you do things out of duty, the love will come back. The fire will come back. You'll be glad you did. You'll you'll never read the Bible and not be, and say, I was a waste of time. You'll always be glad you read it. You'll always be glad you went soul winning. You'll always be glad you spent time in prayer. Look, there comes a point in our lives, and, and we live in this American video game, just microwave, just every, I only do what I want to do and that's why you're not getting paid more. That's why your life's a mess. We need to learn this word, duty. When we do what the right, it's the right thing to do out of duty. We'll finish right here, Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is a book where Solomon has been telling us for 12 chapters why life sucks. <laughs> He's like, I had all the riches, I had all the wealth, I had all the fame, I had, it, I had it all. And he said, it's all vanity of vanities. And then he says, he ends the book by saying this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The conclusion of life, the purpose of life, how to not have an empty, shallow life. Here it goes. Two things, Solomon says. Number one, fear God. Number two, keep his commandments. And then he says this, for this is the whole duty of man. Should you serve God because you love him? Yes. But when you don't feel like you love him that much, do it out of duty. Live for God out of duty. Look, I think you should stay married because you love your wife and you love your husband and you should work at that thing and you should love each other and work at your marriage. But there are times where you should just stay married out of duty because it's the right thing to do. Because it's the right thing to do for your children. So You know, I, I hope you come to church because you love us and you love the Word of God and you love the preaching but there are some times where you just show up out of duty. Look, let me let you know a little secrets. There are many a Wednesday night that I don't want to come to church. I'm talking about me. Past three minutes. I'm just like, I'm telling my wife, like, I don't want to go. She's like, you kind of have to. <laughs> you know, why do you do it when you, when you don't want to do it? How do you do it? One word, duty. Okay. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Think of these 10 verses. Lord, help us to understand them and apply them into our lives, Lord. I pray you'd help us to be Christians that are mature. Lord, I, I so wish that we'd be a church filled with people that just love you and that actually just build their lives on the Bible, that actually just do what the Bible says. They go to Scripture, and the Bible says, here's what you should do in this situation, and they just do it. And sometimes they do it because it's the right thing to do, and sometimes they do it because they love you, and other times they just do it out of duty. And Lord, I pray you'd help us. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're now, brother. Uh, Moses, come up and lead us in a final song. I just want to remind you uh, that if you've not signed up or if you'd like to sign up, To bring cornbread or desserts. We've got some sign up sheets in the foyer for.